Podcast about music, pro wrestling, and MMA. I'm your host, Kay Fresh. And like always, we have a great show for you this week. But before we get into it, I definitely want to talk about some friends of mine. Undeniable Press. If you need any screen printing needs, hit up Undeniable Press. They're located in the Corktown neighborhood in Detroit. So if you need any t-shirts, posters, any other little promotional items printed, they can help you. They can hook you up. You can go to facebook.com slash undeniablepressdetroit, and they'll be able to hook you up. And those same guys, they also run a clothing line that's uh, pro wrestling oriented. It's called 20 by 20 Apparel, and they have all these great uh, t-shirts that are nostalgia-themed in the world of pro wrestling. So you can go over to their website, which is 20x20apparel.com. That's the number 20 x the number 20 apparel.com check out their catalog it's really dope they have a lot of cool things and if you want to support the fresh of the word podcast you can always go to fresh and just share any links from the websites on your social medias anywhere i don't care just uh that would help out a lot and you can also click on the link that says support the podcast and there's a paypal link you can donate to or if you ever do any purchases on amazon use the link on that page it doesn't change anything on your end, but it does give us a little bit of commission to help out the podcast. And also, you can follow the podcast at on Twitter and Instagram at Fresh is the Word 1. That's Fresh is the Word, the number 1. And on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast. Give us a like on there. And always feel free to retweet, reshare any of our posts on there. You can also subscribe to Fresh of the Word on iTunes and Stitcher. Then also give us a nice little comment on either of those. It'll really help us out, preferably five stars. So this week's podcast, we have a special guest, a huge guest, a very powerful guest, Victor Kui. He's the owner and CEO of the biggest MMA company in Asia. One Championship's next event it's called Kings of Destiny, and it'll go down April 21st in Manila. And that will showcase the main event of the lightweight champion, Edward Foyang, versus Ev Ting. So let's get to the interview with Victor Kui from One Championship. Uh, yeah, uh, recently, uh, yeah, I did catch the, uh, the, the recent uh, One Championship uh, event, uh, Warrior Kingdom. Uh, 
It was a fantastic event. Uh, you had uh, Angela Lee uh, successfully defend her Adam Waits uh, championship against uh, Jetty Jetty Huang in a uh, really yeah. great great uh, fight. Then also you had a uh, um a few other uh, fights where it was just like one fight one it was almost a stoppage for one fighter only to only for it to be stopped later on for the other fighter. So there was like great competition, like you know yeah, from top think, to bottom. I think, I think we had um. Every every, uh, every fight was a finish except one. I think I think we had one that went to a decision if I remember correctly. Right, right. So it was really, really an action packed night. Yeah, it was definitely and and I'm I'm here over in the states in Detroit and so it's a twelve hour difference. So it was actually perfect timing. So I was able to wake up at eight thirty in the morning to watch the main card. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> well, well, thank. Thank you for having uh, one championship for breakfast, then. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, the one thing, one the one thing that's really refreshing about one championship is that it doesn't thrive off of trash talking about like you know what kind of goes on here in the Western world, but it's more competition based, more respect, more the honor of martial arts. You know, how do you how would you describe the values of one championship? I think that what you see at one championship really is a reflection of how integral martial arts is to the culture of Asians. You know, there's a reason why uh, families and parents continue to enroll their children into martial arts all across Asia, and the sport continues to flourish, even though it's never had traditionally the multi-billion dollar advertising campaigns that F1 or EPL or tennis or any of those major those other sports have had. Yet parents continue to put their kids into martial arts because it teaches the value that everyone in the world holds true and particularly is intrinsic to the core of Asians culturally, the values of integrity, respect, hard work, loyalty, humility. And when you look at the top Asian athletes in martial arts in Asia, they've been doing martial arts for, you know, let's call it 10, 15 years of their life, right? Since since they were five years old or however young it might be. Right. So those are the values that they grew up with. But even more so, if you've been doing something for 10, 15 years, you're a community leader in that. You know, you've got um, thousands or hundreds or thousands of students that, that, that you teach in your community or have taught anywhere from five-year-olds to 105-year-olds. Right. So to represent those values of traditional martial arts, to represent that community, you take that, that, that responsibility very seriously. So I think when you see our athletes, these world champions in Muay Thai, world champions in Wushu, world champions in Taekwondo, and they've all transitioned into MMA, and they come to complete their dream, the epitome of their career to compete in one championship, they represent those values and they, they take it seriously. So they step into the into the cage, they give it the very best representing the community and they want to um, showcase those values. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, when it comes to just MMA anywhere, you know, everybody likes to see, you know, f- you know, fighters throw a fury of punches. But what I noticed while watching Warrior Kingdom was that the crowd was really engaged anytime there was a ground game going on between the fighters. And that's something over here in the Western world can, you know, can be boring at times to the audience. It's usually only the hardcore, you know, MMA fans that might get in, get engaged in the ground game. What is it about the culture that makes the crowd enjoy all aspects of the fight 
while they're watching it, whether it's on TV or in the crowd? Um, well, I, I think the one big thing about martial arts in Asia is you don't have to teach anybody about martial arts. I mean, everyone here knows it. It's, it, it's you know, on televisions and soap operas. It's in movies. <laughs> if you see two people break into a fight, you know, in a soap opera, they start kicking each other. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> in fact, you know what I mean? Or, or they might expect the person to start jumping off of walls and doing backflips. <laughs> right. So, the, the expectation and the, and the awareness of martial arts and combat sports is, is natural in Asia. It's the only sport that is truly Asian. So the audience are looking for reasons to engage. Now, I'd still say the ground game is still something relatively new because the majority of martial arts in Asia are stand-up based. Um, and the, a big part of it is education, education of the crowd and, and an appreciation of it. But I think, more importantly, our audience and our fan base they just appreciate elite martial artists competing at the highest levels, and they recognize that. Right. You have fighters that come from all parts of Southeast Asia, and that's pretty much the core. All parts of Asia. Yeah, all, all parts across of, Asia. Yeah, all across Asia, and that's the you know the core of this company. Is there any sort of competition that exists between all these different countries? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's a fierce rivalry between um, between almost every country in Asia, and no different than the Soviet-American kind of rivalry or um, friendly rivalry between Canada and the, and the States when it comes to a hockey game. You right. know, <laughs> so you get those kind of rivalries in in almost every Asian country. Um, there exists something like that. So when we have our local fighters representing their nation. And it's a huge rallying point for everybody in that country. Right. That's a big part of, of, of our fan base and why we get the best athletes in Asia. Because for them, a chance to compete all across Asia representing their country is much greater and exciting opportunity for them than opposed to, um, you know, even, even for uh, an Asian athlete to just go complete compete one-off in some competition anywhere else in around the world that's not really that as appealing to them as a chance to compete with us we've got 18 events all across asia so which means we keep our athletes really busy and they get to travel around the region and become superstars in asia um if you look at let's say let's take a local homegrown hero like that we've done with um angela lee yes you know she's her adapted home in singapore man she's in the newspaper here every week or every month, even when she's not fighting. So her fan base in Singapore is huge. Everybody talks about her. Everyone's looking for her. Everyone can't wait for her next fight. And she's, that's the fan base that she's built up. Same thing with uh, the local hero like Angla Sang that we've built in, in Myanmar. Talented athlete. He's a huge hero in, in, in Myanmar. Um, uh, you know, the, the the, the government officials come out to watch him compete. The military brass come out to watch him compete. Fans, sponsors, corporate, everybody. Just uh, literally when he competed for the world championship title um, uh, a couple months ago, uh, I, I, I was told that in Myanmar, the streets and the businesses stopped. And everyone just was watching it on television. <laughs> nice. For the first time. They had a uh, Myanmar hero, a Burmese hero, on world international TV with one championship broadcast to 118 countries, a billion viewers, and there he gets to represent the nation competing for a world championship. Definitely. 
One of the best things that I, I like about one is the media coverage that you're able to obtain for the company and for the fighters and how you sort of use it to build your social media presence. At any time, I can go online and search one championship and be able to understand what's going on at the, in the company at that time. How important is it for one championship to have that sort of direct presence online? Well, I would say in, in Asia, the digital landscape is quite advanced. You know, in country by country, it's to different levels, but typically it's mobile first for a lot of our fan base. Right. So our initiatives are, are focused a lot on that. But um, uh, one thing I think that's exciting about one championship is we're more than just the sport of, of MMA. We're about entertainment. And we bring together so many different communities, uh, whether it's traditional martial arts or it's music or it's local local groups or local celebrities in every country that we go to and, um, and, and local business. So it's an interesting story for a lot of media uh, around the world to cover because there isn't a lot of businesses that offer that. Or the, you know, these depths of stories with our athletes that have come from absolute poverty or orphans to then become world champions. So there's a lot of amazing stories, not only from the competition side, but from the business side of things. Right. You know, we were recognized by, we got nominated by CNBC for the Unicorn Award, which is recognizing companies that are um, valued at a billion dollars or, or greater in Asia. Um, you know, we got invited to the Forbes CEO conference to speak, and that's just because we are uh, one of the largest sport property in Asia today, but we also just have a great story to tell about the opportunity in Asia and the growth of business and, and where sports is going in this region. Yeah, definitely. Uh, on April uh, on April plus, 21st... Plus, um, plus Kelly... Go ahead. But Kelly, we got a lot of we got we got a lot of great support from guys like you. Oh, um, thank you. Know, you. You know, in the middle of the night to, to to do stories, so I appreciate it. Oh, no problem, man. It's it's an honor to talk with you, man. And I'm I've ever since I I came across one championship last year, I've been very impressed and very engaged in you know learning about the uh, company. I always uh. I, like I, you know, like I um, alluded to in the last question, it was like I do pay attention to your social media, and I always and I'm able to learn about the fighters and the company um, through what you guys are able to, you know, you know, facilitate online for the company and your fighters, which is uh, really great. And um, and what I want to, you know, and Thank what you. I want. And what I want to talk about next is actually um, okay on April twenty first at your uh, the Kings of Destiny uh, event in Manila, you have uh, Edward Foyang from the Philippines defending his one lightweight championship against Malaysia's Evting. The buildup for this fight is great already. Uh, you have Foyang who beat an M MMA legend in Shinya Aoki to fulfill his dream of becoming a champion. And, and then he's going against Ev Ting, who, who's, who's, who's had already had great success against Filipino fighters. You know, how's the anticipation for this fight feel from your perspective? Well, the anticipation has been crazy. And for Malaysia, this is the first time in the history of that entire country that they're going to have a fighter, um, an athlete, you know, competing for a world championship title in martial arts. So 
the nation, the government is rallying around him, and it's just really gotten a lot of attention from there because he's long been recognized as one of the top contenders or the top-ranked fighters coming out of Malaysia. And he's an exciting fighter. Uh, you know, and so that's, that's what Evan King brings to the table. And he's been waiting for this opportunity for a long time. When you've got Goliath, on the other hand, I mean, he's a storybook um, uh, a story of, of, of a Filipino champion, a guy that has been working tirelessly for the last five, six years to become a world champion. And I can't even explain how huge of a hero he is in the Philippines to right. be homegrown Filipino world champion. And he was brought for example, by Manny Pacquiao, who's one of our shareholders. He was brought by Manny Pacquiao to the Senate, and the Senate recognized him and thanked him for being a hero and a proud representative of the Philippines internationally. Great. In his hometown, you know, they, 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 they ran an entire parade for him. So he's a great inspirational hero, you know, a teacher, um, an amazing story where he had nine siblings and Five of his siblings died, um, and now he just recently became a father. So he's just got all these great <laughs> stories around him. He's a really likable guy, very humble, um, uh, very pious. And so the nation has really ra- uh, rallied around him. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how he handles this amount of pressure on his home turf as a defending champion. Right. One championship does a great job of building these great positive stories and in anticipation for the main event championship fights. You know, what's your goal in promoting these fire, fighters that you're trying to make faces of the company? I think, well, first of all, if, you, if we have um, a talented athlete, then that's that speaks volumes on its own. And right. we've got some of the best athletes in, in Asia, you know, the top athletes in Asia competing with us. And I would say our world champions, some of our world champions are pound for pound, some of the best fighters in the world. Um, and they, they bring exciting fights. Uh, I think that what we, what we work really hard to do is build these local heroes in each country for the nations to rally around. And that's why you're seeing our TV ratings be, you know, some of the best ratings in Asia of any sport. I mean, we're beating F1 in some of our core markets. We're beating football in other markets. Like right. we're, you're talking about the, the most watched television show in that country. And that's because when we air, regardless of where our event is being held, we're broadcast in that country and we're showcasing heroes for them to cheer for. Uh, so I think as we continue to do that, we continue to see the rise and the growth of one championship, the growth of our athletes and the, and the growth of the sport. Great. You mentioned, you know, earlier about Angela Lee, and she's definitely one of the superstars of one championship. Um, how important is it to have someone like Angela Lee to be a strong representative of one championship, but also be a strong presence for women's MMA for the company? Are there any obstacles that you've had, to, um, the company has gone, have any obstacles that's been in the past in regards to making a woman fighter be a viable draw and be a face for a company in Asia? 
Absolutely. I mean, the, the sport of MMA is still new, but, uh, although it's the fastest growing sport. I think Nielsen released a study, for example, in China that, that MMA is now the third most popular sport in China. Right. So it's, it's really growing very fast. Um, but when you look at women's MMA, that's even younger. And, and, and there's a lot of obstacles in Asia because uh, traditionally um, women haven't had these kind of opportunities. So when you get world champions like Angela Lee or stars like we have in Malaysia with Ann Osman, who is, um, you know, Ann Osman, she's a talented athlete, articulate, beautiful, um, friendly, yes. just a really great representative for the sport. And she's Muslim. And so she's been able to, to share her story of women empowerment across Asia that it doesn't matter what your sex is. It doesn't matter what your religion is. It doesn't matter any of those kind of things, who you are. You know, you can go for your dreams and you can, you can work hard for your dreams and be this example of empowerment for women and, and for anybody in Asia, for that matter, uh, to, to achieve your goals and do what you want to do. Definitely. Currently, all, you know, all of your current champions are from different countries I mean, across the globe. But, you know, one is very much grounded in the cultures of Asia. You know, how do you sort of balance being a global entity while staying to your roots in the culture that you're, you built it on? Well, I think there's two things. One is that everybody in the world wants to see the best Asian fighters. Like if you say to somebody, all right, who's the next world champion and the next world champion, the next Bruce Lee is coming out of Asia. People are like, well, yeah, let me take a look at that. I want to see who the next Bruce Lee is. I want to see who the next Jackie Chan is. I want to see who the next Jet Li is. And they're coming out of Asia. Okay. I believe that. So I think globally, there's a lot of authenticity and interest in seeing what are the best martial artists in the world coming out of Asia doing and what are they showcasing and how are they showcasing themselves on one championship. So we have a huge global fan base like that that are looking for something different. I think the, the second part of it is, you know, I believe in the power of martial arts to make this world a better place. And our athletes and our competitors that we have believe in that. And it showcases, it showcases itself in how we present the sport and how our athletes represent one championship. And I think people love to see that. And that was one of the first comments that you talked about, you know, do our competitors fiercely compete and bring their very best A game every time they step into, into a match? Absolutely. Do they showcase and represent the values of martial arts that we respect and love? Definitely. And people, I think, in sport have been looking for that. There's such a huge amount of respect and admiration of when you see an athlete fight their heart out for 25 minutes for a world championship fight, and the first thing they do is they hug their opponent and they go and bow to their opponent's corner and pay respect. Right. You know, I remember in the championship fight when Angela Lee won a world championship, and they went to she went to war with May, with May Yamaguchi for five rounds, and the moment that fight finished, May Yamaguchi, after the winner was announced, went up to Angela, and you couldn't hear this because you know it was on, it wasn't on television, but I was there, and went up to her and whispered to her in the ear. Angela, you are going to be a great world champion. Congratulations. You know, you have a bright future ahead of you. That's Can you amazing. imagine, you know, the, the humility and, and, and pride and just respect that, that you have for your opponent to be able to go up to them, 
seconds after you've lost a fight and to wish your opponent that. I mean, that's true class. But the thing is, that's not even an anomaly in our sport in one championship. You see our athletes do that over and over again. It's incredible. Right. Yeah, it is incredible. I, I definitely, I do, I definitely love that that uh, aspect of uh, one championship is that respect right after you know going to war with uh, with each other. You know they'll def- they'll they'll hug each other and compliment each other right after. I you know I love seeing that. I love seeing that sportman sportsmanship. And um, what um. I want to switch topics for a minute, and I wanted to, uh, there's a, a big topic that comes up in, uh, that's been coming up in MMA recently, has been the, the practice of weight cutting. Um, after, recently, after uh, Habib Nurmagomedov was unable to fight in UFC 209 due to weight management issues, um, your VP, uh, Rich Flan- uh, Franklin, posted on Facebook about, a, uh, about the global MMA weight and uh, hydration system that... Um, you use in one championship to where they're competing more at their natural weight. Can you elaborate the you know the sort of weight management practices used in uh, one championship? Yeah, actually, it's very simple. We have a process where we don't allow weight cutting. If you're an athlete, you have to compete at what is you know um, colloquially or, or you know everyone recognizes as your walking weight. So we monitor and we discuss with the athletes weeks and months before their fight and with their coaches and their training camp to understand what is their ideal weight that they want to compete at. And our expectation is that if you want to be an elite fighter, if you want to be the best of the best and compete in one championship, then you have to be an athlete that is dedicated to the sport 365 days of the year, which means you have to have a healthy diet. You have to have a healthy lifestyle. You have to be trained. We're not saying you have to be fight ready every single day of the week, but we're saying that we will work with you to understand what is your ideal weight to compete at so you can compete at the highest levels of your ability, um, at the highest levels of safety with one championship. And that's why you're seeing a finishing rate like 9 out of 10 of our fights with exciting fights that are um, in, in one championship. And that's uh, makes for a greater competition. The fans like it and the athletes love it. I mean, you should, when you're around fight week with one championship, it's a completely different atmosphere because our athletes are fully hydrated and they're healthy and they're strong and they're ready to compete and they can they pack their whole week with media and sponsor interviews and, and fan meet and greets and they're walking around eating breakfast and having a good time and, and it's just really what a great atmosphere around, uh, around competition I think should be like. Definitely. Is there anybody that like outside of uh, one championship that maybe you have your eye on that you kind of wish was in the company because they fit into the company's culture. Uh, someone who, you know, wh- where you look at them and be like, they would probably be a good fit for one championship. Maybe they would uh, do better and thrive more in uh, one championship. Is there anybody specific that you see out there in a different company? And just in general, is there a way that you go out and recruit talent for the company? Oh, there, there are a lot of people that fit that criteria. And thank, you know, I'm really thankful that we've got Matt Hume as our vice president of competition. He's one of the most recognized guys in the industry. And every coach knows him, recognizes him, respects him. There's not a gym in the world that, that would not answer his call. You know, and on top of that, we've got Rich Franklin that also helps out with competition. So we've got really respected industry leaders 
that are, are, are driving this. The challenge that we actually have with one championship is we have too many athletes from around the world that want to compete with us. <laughs> I mean, every week I've got hundreds of emails. I can't even, I, I can't even check my Facebook, you know, or my Twitter direct, my Twitter DMs and just from <laughs> coaches and fighters and managers from Russia to Poland to Africa <laughs> right. to Canada, the U.S., just everybody that <laughs> wants to come out here to Asia and, and, and compete. So the challenge that we actually have is sorting through that and understanding who really um, wants to make a future in Asia and who would be exciting for a global audience um, and that and would make sense for for our organization. Right. The names of each event are very interesting. Like the last one's Warrior Kingdom, and the next one is Kings of Destiny on April uh, 21st in Manila. What's the idea behind the naming of each of the events? Well, I, I think that one, one, we just really like to show that every time we come to a different country, because you have to remember, we're not holding... We have 18 events this year, but it's not like we're holding all of our events in the same country and just moving to different states. We're going to different countries. And each country has a different religion, different government, different language, different you know culture, everything. So we want to always showcase that when we are bringing another unique event where we've built our title around the fight card or around the history of that nation to showcase and pay, pay homage to that country, and um, and uh, you know bring our particular unique flavor of one championship to every country that we go to. Definitely. Well, you know, one does respect M- MMA as a competition. You know, it's all very much entertainment, also, and a televised product. You know, I've noticed that on you know one's events, there's great attention to detail with the televised pro- um, product. One thing that I notice is like the camera changes seem to be a bit quicker than what you might see in the UFC or Bellator, something more akin to what you see like in, in movies or TV shows. You know, what do you do to keep the televised product interesting throughout the telecast? Well, we're continually trying to improve that and, and build it. And of course, we, we're making a product for a global audience. I think that um, one of the unique challenges with one championship is because our broadcast reach in Asia is so deep and so strong, like there's no other sport in Asia that has the kind of television coverage that one championship has. We're on television every week. We're on free to air. We're on cable. We're just more ubiquitous in, in Asia, um, which is why some of the biggest brands in the region are working with us: Disney, Facebook, LG, Panasonic, Casio. I mean, these all these blue chip brands that are working with us because of our television reach. And we, we've got a phenomenal production team that works really hard uh, to make sure we're delivering world-class content everywhere we go. But I think in general, um, our style is maybe more similar to what you would, what you would see um, uh, in a real cinematic entertainment feel is what, is, is what we like. You know, it's, right. we really believe in not just delivering just sport, but as I said earlier, sport entertainment. And that's why we integrate music and pyro and, and uh, lights and sound, and all this kind of stuff into our show. Right. And from that production standpoint, what does One Champion do to, to sort of make the event come alive when you're actually at the event in the arena, cage side, in attendance? You know, what do you do to sort of always make it vibrant and interesting for all those people that are um, at, at the actual event? 
it depends on which country that we're at. So um, our last event in Bangkok, we had two of the the top, you know, biggest hip hop acts or and music acts that were performing there. So that really brought the distinct Thai flavor. You know, we had um, Titanium, a Thai rap group, and they performed a song. And they performed that song, for example, while the world is on on commercial break. They performed a song for the in stadium, and then that that transitioned into the entrance music for one of the Thai fighters. So we seamlessly integrated it into the show, you know, to, to, to make it exciting for the local audience. And then it's something a little different from the, from the TV product. And then country to country, you know, we might showcase the local sport or um, uh, uh, a local artist. Um, so in Singapore, our last event, there's a huge, hugely famous singer called Nathan Hartono, and he sang the national anthem there so we really find ways to make it creative for our uh, local fan base great to kind of you know uh wind down on this interview uh what you know what future goals does one championship have at this point to continue to uh, keep the ball rolling um and already huge advances that you've already made the past couple years well, I, I would still think I, I still think we're in the early days of our business. We've got a long way to go from where where I think the company can be and where the sport can be. There's a lot of growth. We've just opened up um, offices in China, so we're going to continue to expand there. We're going to continue to expand around the region. We get offers from countries all around the world and asking us to hold events there. You know, everything from Russia and Kazakhstan to Brazil and Canada. So. We're continually exploring those opportunities of what's going to make sense for us. Definitely, definitely. All right, Victor, it's been great talking with you. Uh, um, it's been an honor. Uh, thanks for uh, you know doing this interview for my podcast. Uh, uh, where can uh, you know anybody, if they want to go online, find out more information about One Championship? Absolutely. Be sure to visit our website, onefc.com, and, uh, or follow me on Twitter at VictorOneFC. Kelly, I really appreciate your time. This is great questions, an exciting interview, and I look forward to doing it again. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, and once again, man, thank you for uh, for taking the time out. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. You too. Have a good day. So that was my interview with Victor Kui from One Championship. He was super nice to talk to, and people label him the most powerful man in Asian MMA. So it was an honor to be able to talk with someone like that. So hopefully we'll be able to get more guests involved into the, the one championship realm here on the Freshest Word podcast. And now, like always, I'm joined with my guest host, pro wrestling and MMA connoisseur, Detroit hip hop artist and proud Marine V Styles. What up? What's going on, Kelly? You good, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, you know, before we, we before we uh, start the show, I want to um, give a quick condolences uh, to Jim Ross's wife who passed um, in, a, in an accident on her uh, scooter. Um, she passed probably about two hours ago. And Jim Ross is a WWE Hall of Famer, um, probably the greatest announcer wrestling wise of all time. And he just lost his wife. I just want to send, uh, you know, condolences to him. I met him a couple of times. He's a real good guy. Oh, definitely, definitely. That, yeah, that's that's really sad that what happened. 
And you know, Jim yeah, Ross is such a good guy, man. And it's I, I I literally grew up watching this guy as from a kid, and I'm still listening to him now. When I remember when he was a slim guy, to where you know everything started happening for him fast, and then he had a stroke. He had to rehabilitate that stroke with one side of his face not being, you know, not moving. You know, right. you have strokes, you, you lose you lose some motor skills, man. But he recovered, maybe not physically like we all are, man, but he still was Jim Ross. And, oh, yeah. And, He's still sharp as ever, you, you know? know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's... You know, for me, that's pretty sad, man. You never want to see anybody uh, go through something like that, especially when you're talking about your spouse. Right, and, yeah, Jim Ross is such a genuinely good, cool guy, you know, who loves the business. So it just, Mm -hmm. uh, it's you know, it's a bummer that, you know, his wife uh, passed away. Uh, Yeah, definitely condolences to the family, friends of of J.R., Jim Ross. Yeah, good old J.R. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he uh he just made a he made a uh a Twitter post uh probably about yeah, four hours ago. A priest gave my okay. wife Jan her last rites tonight. My little angel is gone. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, definitely sad, man. Definitely sad. But uh you know, just you know, wanna shout that out to him. So uh condolences from uh Fresh is the Word podcast right definitely yep we're on the uh speaking of wrestling we are currently in the middle of the road to wrestlemania and like you know we've been talking about it seems like everything that we kind of assumed was going to happen has been happening all the matches that seem to be happening are happening looks like we are going to be getting the aj styles versus shane mcmahon uh match i i did i didn't get to watch the full SmackDown Live this week because I was actually at the Fisher Fe- uh, Theater seeing Rent, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, really? Where'd you go see it at? At um at um the Fisher Theater. Okay. All right. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Rent? I know it was a movie. I'm not really familiar with it. Was it like a musical? Yeah, it's a musical. Um, okay. There was um, and they did a movie for it also. Um, back. Yeah. And and this uh their tour now is uh, celebrating the twentieth anniversary of it, and okay. um, I've watched the movie like a ton of times, but I realize this is the first time seeing it on stage, and like the stage the stage version kind of accentuates and details things a lot more than in the actual movie than the movie like pretty much everything's the same it just some things I felt like in the movie almost got a little maybe watered down a little bit. I think on the stage right. show they sort of bring it home a lot clearer and and I and I I enjoyed that a lot more, you know. I was just like, "Oh, okay, I like the way they I like the way it's more direct on stage, you know." So, I definitely so had a great so, time. So, it's basically similar to um like I've seen um I've seen uh Phantom of the Opera the movie. Yeah. But then I've seen but then I've seen Phantom of the Opera the play. Yeah. And if you go to Toronto, 
Toronto's Phantom of the Opera, like he goes on tour and yeah. it might be in New York one week and then it might be in Detroit next week. But in Toronto, Phantom of the Opera, the, the set is literally set up for what they're trying to get across. And I, I, I appreciated the play more than I did the movie. So I definitely can uh, relate to you on that. I'm going to check Rent out, man, just to, but I'm, I, I was familiar with it, but I've never, you know, taken time out to even look at it. But, oh, yeah. You it's, know, if you, if you, yeah, it's good. You say it's dope, I'm going to fuck with it. Yeah, it's dope. Even even the movie is really good. It's just like the stage show, There's a, it, it accentuates a lot of things much better. And it, it was a blast. You know, I, I had... I had, I had a lot of fun at it. Man, you know what? I, I'm, I'm still, look, look, oh, man, a couple of things to talk about, man. <laughs> a couple of things. I, 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 I kind of want to do, let's, can we do pro wrestling first and, and, yeah. and MMA last? Yeah, that's where I was kind of going with everything. <laughs> so we, okay. Let's talk about wrestling first. Uh, all right. Look. You know how hard I've been on the Usos. I haven't been no fan of the Usos. Still, right. I'm not necessarily a fan of the Usos, um, but I do like the new music. Yes. I do like the fact that they don't come out chanting that shit. I mean, no diss to their heritage, but they don't come out chanting that shit no more. Um, they don't do the whole Uso shit no more. Now it's it's business. Let's get in there and, and let's fuck some shit up. Right. I, I, I like that. Now, those are the type of tag teams and those are the type of wrestlers that I like. Now, I don't like the fight, fact that they're in there with AF1s on. <laughs> but I like their new gear. It's more hard. It, it's, it shoots them. And they just got the straps back, man. And you never thought I I didn't think we was gonna see the straps on them anytime soon, man, because their popularity, you know, it fell off because it got dull. With the new reinvention of the Usos, man, hopefully we can see. I mean, because they they're definitely a talented tag team, and you know, hopefully we see some some you know, great matches uh, in the future from them as far as them defending them belts because uh, I do kind of think that America Alpha was kind of pushed quickly. Yeah, um, they were. And I think they got dull super quick. Yeah. They do the same shit every week. As great as it is, it's the same shit. And I'm not I'm not into the dudes that smile and having fun. I mean, you saw it's cool to have fun, man, but you know, fuck the fans, man. It ain't about the fans. It's about, I mean, not literally fuck the fans, but right. I think I don't, we... want, I don't want to see. I don't want to see you shaking hands and all that crazy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, oh yeah, just um, in regards to American Alpha, I feel like yeah, they, I think they got pushed too quick on the main roster. But I think I think what would help like them need it, like I, yeah, I think what would help them in the future is if they were able to get like paired up with somebody um, that's similar to them, like a Kurt Angle or a Shelton Benjamin, to sort of... Oh, man. Like, but, like, do something I, where, I, like, I, like that's their mentor type thing and where they kind of have to go through, like, an, a range of motion, emotions and stuff with this person, you know? Like, this is their leader dude. or whatever, or, like, their 
Like, like going back to like, like kind of having like, if you go back to like, collegiate like wrestling and stuff like that. Oh, indeed. Like indeed. that sort of thing, you know, where your where your coach is like hard on you and stuff like that. Like that would kind of be Dude, cool I, and bring some uh, character to American Alpha. I heard the craziest fucking rumor this week. Rumor, I read a story. And the story basically said that Kurt Angle was supposed to come back and he was supposed to be Jack Swagger's manager. And like back when they were pushing Jack Swagger to become the, you know, the champion before he yeah. got caught with the DUI and all that crazy shit, with, which really kind of messed his career up with the WWE, got a doghouse. And yeah. now he's, you know, been released from his contract and, um, He's uh about to start doing some independent work. So I always liked that dude. Can you can you imagine if you know, they would have brought Kurt Angle in to mentor him with the whole we the people. I mean, that would have I just think that would have blew and that would have cuz he's a talented guy, man, but yeah. I just think he missed his mark, man, you know. You know, what's funny is people get in trouble all... Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about this shit, too. But people get in trouble all the time for for doing crazy shit, and they don't get punished for the crazy shit that they do. Um, I think a DUI for a young dude who's living life, um, he could have used that as a stepping stone or a lesson right. to become a, a better man, man. Sometimes... You know, the experience is the lesson, and that lesson makes you a better person because you don't want to go through that negativity again, man. So I kind of think the WWE dropped the ball by not pushing him the way that he should have been pushed. And, you know, he did some things, you know, uh, from what I read that, you know, wasn't necessarily the best, but I attribute that to him being a kid, man. But could you have imagined... Kurt Angle come back way back in the day when when that kid first got on the scene. I like I li- I've always rooted for him. I like for some reason I like Jack Swagger, man, and you know I, he's going to be successful um, wherever he goes. Um, I watch Raw literally, and I think we go through this every week. <laughs> I don't I don't get happy until. Chris Jericho comes on, man. I just do not, dude. Like everything is everything is dull to me into the Ayatollah of rock and roller. Dude, comes this on. this week he literally put in he literally put in twenty years of catchphrases catchphrases into one segment, and it was that amazing. was great. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, dude! Like, look, look, like when he gets to the point where he gets to talking shit, and then he just says. Cheer me on, man. <laughs> How do Dude. you not like that shit as a wrestling fan? Like, yeah, we we go, you know, people don't cherish the people when they're around, man. But we going to miss him when he stopped being as active as he is. Right now, the babyface Chris Jericho is actually really amazing. <laughs> man, it's the great. It's like, it's the greatest. Like. <laughs> he can really <clears throat> he can have a title run right now, a world championship title run <clears throat> with how over he is with the audience. 
Yeah. This, uh, right. When you see him in there, just, you know, for wrestlers, and I don't mean this to slight anybody, but for wrestlers, the wrestling probably is the easy part. Oh, definitely. To have, definitely. To have, yeah. To have, you know, I'll say a good 50, 60% got decent mic skills. But then you get to the upper 90, 95%, and the 100% to where it's certain people that all they have to do is talk. They ain't got to perform, you know, because the talking is the performing for the fans, man. That dude got in the ring and got the talking shit, and it was like, how do you not cheer for this dude, man? This dude is like, he's the GOAT. He's, he, you know, um, he's getting pretty close to Jake Roberts, man. I'm a Jake <laughs> Roberts fan, man, but he's getting like, I, I'm a Chris Jericho dude, man. That dude, because he, he rocks out in the ring. His skills are still the same. He still does the lion's salt. Walls of Jericho. Now, he has slowed down a little bit, but he still do the same shit that he was doing when we was kids looking at this shit. Right, yeah. And he and he, and he in his mid-40s. So I roots for the OGs, goddammit. And I fucks with Chris Jericho. You know, and if you don't, you know what happens to people <laughs> that don't fuck around with Chris Jericho? <laughs> click click you are right right look when you see the click click and you see the pause to see the intensity of the fans waiting on him to say that bro and dude dude man yeah duh, yeah i'm telling you people gonna miss him after wrestlemania it's funny like you kind of you kind of like it's like terribly noticeable like sort of like the in-ring presence that some of these guys have when you have people like Chris Jericho and then also when you have Triple H in the ring doing what they do. Like, these guys are Triple like... Triple H is great, too. Yeah, like, the past couple of weeks, whenever he comes in the ring, it's just like, by God, like, this guy is... He's so good at being Triple H that you're like... Exactly! Like, shit, dude. Like Because that's the, that's the shit that we love. That's the, that's, like, don't get me wrong, the Hunter Hirsch Hensley guy was cool, bow and all that shit, man, but, you know, after a while, it could just be a little cliche, man, when he reinvented himself and called himself Triple H, dude gave himself initials. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. What does Matt Matt, uh, Hardy refer him to? Oh, uh, the man with the three H's. <laughs> the man <with> the... <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you gotta love it, man. You gotta love it. But yeah, you're hundred. You're hundred percent right, man. Triple H. You know, people can say what they want, man, but he's one of the greatest, man. He's one of the greatest, and you know, I find myself rooting for him. You know, when he's, you know, active. 
I like Triple H, the wrestler, the, the badass, because you know what you're getting. Hunter, the CEO. <sighs> I love the shit he's doing NXT. Yeah. Um, But him being, you know, I love this time of the year because this is what we go get from Triple H. He, We know he's coming back twice a year, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, boom, and then he puts the shoot on for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, I I, I want to see him win at WrestleMania. I don't see how Seth wins this fight. I, I don't see it. You know, um, you coming back from a crazy injury, man. I've I've had MCL uh, surgery. MCL surgery is a little. I had MCL and ACL surgery, and the MCL is on the side of your leg. It's on the side of your knee. Yeah. And that's a pain you can't even describe if you move the wrong way. So you talking about a dude that got hurt, what, in February? Um, yeah. April was cutting it real close. So I hope we get a chance to see something. But if he's not 100%, you know, replace him with Finn Balor. Do something, you know, do a spin on it. Do something different, man. But... Remember, the fans want to see something. You know, fans want to see this WrestleMania, man. It's the biggest show of the year. You know, this is a show that everybody look forward to. I've seen them all. Never missed a WrestleMania. I've been at, I've been at, uh, I've been at three, four WrestleManias. I was at WrestleMania three. I was at WrestleMania two, and 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 uh, Chicago Rosemont. Um, I was at. Ford Field um, a couple years back. Uh, and what's the other one that I went to? I want to say L.A., man. But I, I, I've, I've been to a couple WrestleManias, man. And for fans, like, it don't get no, no better than this, man. It's not just wrestling. It's, it's an event. It's a spectacle. So when it gets time to, to for, for the show... You know, give me some Finn Balor. We know Finn Balor is back. Wouldn't it be dope if Finn Balor went against uh, Triple H, you know, to replace Seth Rollins? That would be super dope. If they've been doing it dark match-wise, right. why can't why can't they do it, you know, on a stage like WrestleMania? I don't, I don't think you would hurt, you know. You can create a new storyline, you know, that will go with Seth Rollins still trying to go for the championship. Yeah. I just hope there's, you I know, hope there's so, some sort of uh, kind of storyline swerve either before WrestleMania or at WrestleMania that like, we don't know about that. That hasn't been a rumor or, or something like that. Like it would be cool if there is some sort of surprise. Well, I want to, you know, um, are we going to see Sami Zayn versus Samoa Joe again? Uh, I think so, maybe. Oh man, I don't. I mean, you know, I know Sami Zayn is one of them good guys, and you know the kids, and I get all that, man. But I, I it's, uh, he don't do it for me as a as a professional wrestler, as a professional wrestler. Samoa Joe, on the other hand, he come out with a towel around his neck with hip-hop music playing in the background. No smiling. 
no none of that. He just want to fuck you up. And that's what life is really all about. You want to fuck your opposition up. And even in the pretend land, like wrestling, you want to, you know, I want to see, like, I don't, I've never been a dude who want to see a dude smile and all, fuck all that. No, whoop his ass. Right. I, I, I get a chance to live through you wishing that was me whooping somebody ass right now. Sadistically like, you know, <laughs> um, Samoa Joe is that guy. I fucks with Joe, man. I, I really hope he wins uh, a universal title or, or a WWE title, man. He, well, he, um, he deserves that. Yeah. Well, I don't see that. Uh, actually that match has been actually signed for WrestleMania. I don't see that. Uh, Samoa Joe actually has a match. Um, official yet for WrestleMania, so I'm not sure. If, like I, w- you know, I, I would be hard pressed to see that they continue doing that thing with him and Sami Zayn at the at WrestleMania. But you know, yeah, why why couldn't it be Samoa Joe versus Finn Balor? Something. Oh, we can. Yeah, we can go back to that. You know, are you? You know what I'm saying? You feel me, right? Why couldn't it be that type shit? Like. Like what if uh, it gotta be fucking epic? What if like Finn Balor comes back as like the, the sort of antithesis, eh, like the antithesis? Eh, I can't even say that word. But anticipated. No, I can't even say the word I'm gonna say. But <laughs> he's sort of like <laughs> it's such a hard word. But um, if, if he's sort of like the he he's going against the sort of stable that uh, Triple H is sort of building right now. Exactly. He's a That's part exactly of that. That's exactly what I was thinking. And maybe he does sort of loosely align with um, with Seth Rollins, and um, I don't know. We'll we'll see what his actual, you know, his actual role is going to be once he comes back. But. Um, yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, that that would actually kind of fit, but we'll see. You know, it would fit perfectly. You don't want to put somebody like Seth Rollins back in there too early to fuck his leg up more than what it already fucked up, and now you're out of one of your premier wrestlers because you wanted to push him back quick. You know, let that dude heal, man. We still got another big pay per view. We got SummerSlam, um, but let him heal right, man. I just, you know. It's it's tragic for us as fans to keep seeing this dude get injured, and he always gets injured around the most important part of the season, per se, for wrestling. You know, I want to see him on the biggest stages, whether it's win or lose, but I know his talent, his talent says he should be on the biggest stage, and to not see that, man, is, it, you know, we lose out as as fans, you know. So, you know, I hope he's uh, if he is wrestling, which I think he is. I, I hope he's healthy. But um, you know, he it, it ain't gonna be easy. It ain't gonna be easy. Right. Uh, moving on to another uh, wrestling topic. Uh, it it has I guess it has been confirmed that WWE has offered contracts to both Matt and Jeff Hardy. Um, it looks like from what's being talked about is that they um they do want to keep a part time schedule, but WWE wants them full time. And then there's still like the question between the litigation of the broken gimmick that's still going on. So uh, mm-hmm. 
That's why it's still. He can get uh, around that though. Oh yeah. He can get around. He, he can get around it. You know, when you're talking about, you know, they talking about they own. Like you can't own. You you can own and trademark a name. So he may not be broken Matt Hardy, broken Matt Hardy, but he is still Matt Hardy of the right. Hardy Boys. He still could be. Broken Matt Hardy talked the same type shit. Right. Um, <laughs> have the fans do what they normally do, delete, delete, you know, um, chant. He still can do all that same shit, and it's still not going to fucking matter because the fans know what's up, and the fans will go along with what they're doing. Without... Like the WWE will never say broken Matt Hardy. That they're not gonna do that. They're not into getting sued. But there's a way you can work a character without saying I'm that person. So oh, believe yeah. me, they go come back and they go do the same shit. And we as fans are waiting on it. I hope they go to SmackDown. Uh, I just think that. That brand is more exciting, you know, especially for them. And if they do come back to WWE, please, I would hope that the WWE would not change what's going on right now because these dudes have reinvented themselves. And, like, for us to see, like, what's going on with these dudes right now in their careers when we've been watching them 15 plus years on some other shit. Now they reinvent. Uh, it's like, I, I compare this to Hulk Hogan switching from Hulk Hogan to Hollywood Hogan. Yeah. 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 You know, I wasn't a Hulk Hogan fan. I've never been a Hulk Hogan fan per se. I love Hollywood Hogan. Now, I love those, I love those type wrestlers, man. You know, the, I, I, I've always been a bad guy. So I love Hollywood Hogan. I wasn't a big Hardy Boy fan. I loved them wrestling-wise. Yeah, I did too, but I wasn't, I felt, like, a huge fan of theirs, you know, but I did yeah, enjoy them. I felt I felt like they always did great matches, and they were going to put, uh, especially Matt. Matt wasn't the one that was really pushed like Jeff was. Jeff was the high flyer, and Jeff it was the more popular Hardy at a, a certain point in their WWE career. Yeah. Or WWF, WWE, WWE career. And Matt Hardy comes from behind. Now, he still got his accolades, but he still wasn't as popular as his brother. He reinvented himself, man, and became more popular than his brother. And he's it's probably the hottest character that's in wrestling right now. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. Um, and I think and I, I, I feel like uh, back in the day, live, bro. Yeah, and I feel like back in the day, like with the, um, with all the crazy matches that the Hardys did, that they had to like go to those extreme levels to, uh, to get to over win fans. to win fans and everything because they didn't necessarily have. They had the look. They had the 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 work they in the had ring. The charisma, the mic skills. 
Yeah. I think they were missing Matt. I think they were missing Mad Mike skills because they were bland on the mic. Oh yeah, there was they were. Nothing that was over the top. There was nothing that was great. But you respected them as the Hardy Boys because they were great in the fucking ring. So I guess we gave them a pass because they were that good in the ring. Oh yeah, definitely. Now, yeah. yeah. That that was definitely the thing. They had to like literally go to these extreme levels to get over, at the yeah. detriment of almost like their bodies and stuff. You know, you you saw you saw other contemporaries at the time, people like Edge and Chris, like Edge and Christian, who actually had to like retire oh, yeah. early because of the same shit that they were doing. You know, and um, it, it's it's even like it's even surprising that the Hardy Boys are even still around. Like when you go look back at some of the matches that they've had back in the day, with you know the likes of like Edge and Christian among others, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it's like you, it's lucky that they're uh, still around, but to be able to sort of like finally, you know, reinvent yourself in a certain way to where you finally have that those you you, you, you it's like you've you've cracked the code in regards to your mic skills and what fits for you, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what they're finally able to do. And, like, yeah, and this is, like, pretty much the first time in their careers where, like, Matt's the the more popular one. And to me, he was never a popular dude. And to see him now, it's like, wow, man, it's, it's pretty fucking amazing, man. Pretty fucking amazing, man. So, yeah, I, I'm... Uh, I'm at all of what these dudes have been able to do. You know what's funny? Mo is the one to turn me on to the reinvention of uh, Matt Hardy. He, he was like, B, man, you, you seen Broken Matt Hardy? You, you, you seen Broken Matt Hardy? I'm like, I'm like, Matt Hardy from WWE? He was like, yeah, man. You, he was like, B, like, you gotta watch is this. he on a whole nother level now? He went... He would say this shit to me for the longest. And then when I finally seen it, I was like, man, this dude is on to something, man. And then to see the fan, like, when you win us, when you win us, you win, period. Right. And he's, I just want them to have that moment here in the WWE where I could hear 15,000, 20,000 just, you know, delete, delete. I, 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 can, I can hear it. You know what oh, I'm it's, saying? And, it's already happening. And, and, I can, I can hear, it's already hear the, fucking happening. It's already yes. happening. I can hear the echoes of it right now, man. It's going to happen, man. It's, it's, it's. What, look, look, this is the scary part, though. What happens when the fans, first off, know that they're in the WWE and when they make their fucking first appearance and that the appearance is so powerful, does the WWE run with that shit or do they put them in a position to put other people over? If they do the latter, they're failing. They're failing miserably. See, that's what they They did with the Dudleys. Do you remember when the Dudleys came back? They had probably one of the biggest pops in years when they uh, came Mm -hmm. back. And they put them in that position to get other people over, even though they were so over from the beginning when they came back. That shit is whack. If they do anything other than putting them over, it's whack as fuck. Well, I mean, they're already over. But if they do anything other than 
pushing them to the top, it's like it's a fail. It's a fucking fail. How do you mm, how do you not push that? How do you not push that? Right. No, Ooh, yeah. Dude. I yeah, I hope when they, yeah, I hope you hope if they actually are able to come to terms with WWE and they come back that they come back as an important thing for the company and not just to get over like a really suffering <laughs> tag team division, you know? So hopefully, I don't know. We'll see. I would hope they don't fuck that up, man. Dude, but why, why am I about to buy a, a Chris Jericho hoodie <laughs> that says, that says you just made the list. <laughs> Because you're not a stupid idiot. I'm not a fucking stupid idiot, man. <laughs> yeah, man. All dude, right. oh, dude, 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 dude. On the WWE shop, shop zone, they have a picture of Chris Jericho and fucking KO. Remember the picture that he had in the in the ring with him with KO double crossed him? Yeah. It looked like a, it look. They selling that shit on. on. <laughs> Wait, the painting? The painting? They sell. They selling the painting, but they selling it as a poster. Oh my! I didn't even you know, know they're actually doing. Dude, that's genius. Oh yeah, dog, <laughs> dog. It is fucking. Gr- I'm looking at it like this is great. Like wow. This, let me let me ask you a question. Would you think I'm crazy if I was to buy a replica belt? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Man. I'm actually thinking about. I'm actually thinking about that shit, man. I'm all, I'm sitting up here looking, looking. Well, like, I think you uh, should, man. You man. can you can have it in all your videos coming up. You see, you see, you see. get it, you right. get it. Like, mm-hmm. see, there's a there's a use for it. That's what I'm talking. See, and that's what I'm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you get it. Definitely you get it. <laughs> Definitely, mm-hmm. but um. Let's turn to the world of uh, MMA. Uh, right now, we're getting a nice little three-week break from the UFC, which... Thank you! <laughs> Woo! Like, when it comes down to it, there is too many events, man. And, like, these little breaks are actually very welcomed. And, like... Yeah, it... Like we we get we get a break from uh, we get a break from UFC. There's a break from Bellator right now, so it's just like, all right, cool, man. Like everybody can sort of catch their breath on things, you know, and yeah, and sort of like you know, actually anticipate something, you know, while not talking about it. it sometimes it just can be a little bit too much. You know, even even with just those two companies, you know, if you're paying attention to it, you can be like, "Oh shit, there's another." Oh man, but I will say that this uh this past uh, uh UFC Fight Night that was just available on Fight Pass was actually a really good card when it came to down to watching it. You know, uh, okay, a lot of people were just like, "Oh, that's a pretty lackluster card," but it was. I don't know. I um. The main card just had like four, um, four fights, um, which uh, one of them was the retirement fight for Brad Pickett, and yeah, 
it was all in all. I I enjoyed. I really I really enjoyed. Uh, what what I because it was what I definitely enjoyed is like there was a different um you had a different commentating team uh because it was um uh, out in uh I believe that it was out in the UK. So uh you had a whole just British con- uh commentating team this time. You had Dan Hardy and I forget who else. Um let me see. Is Dan Hardy coming back? I th- I know he got I know he got cleared. I think so. I I'm not sure yet. Oh yeah, it was the yeah, it was the is at the O2 Arena and um I'm not I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything definite in regards to uh, Dan Hardy yet. But um yeah, you had Brad Pickett um his retirement fight he went against uh Marlon Vera who stepped in um the last minutes pretty much. Uh, cause I forget who the previous opponent was for uh, Pickett's farewell song, but it looks like Pickett was uh, actually winning the fight, but then uh, Marlon Vera came with uh, TKO him in the third round. It was a pretty uh... wait, 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 wait. You know what? You know what? And I know we in in MMA right now, but we didn't talk about what we should have talked about wrestling wise. Man, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about. It. <laughs> I'm trying to have I'm trying to have a little bit more of a I'm trying to have a little bit more of a family friendly show this week. I know we've been cursing and stuff, but I'm trying to have a little family like Dude, I'm dying right now. I'm okay. I'm okay. trying to have a little bit of a family friendly and that subject, you know, it's her privacy. It got It's her privacy. So keep it to her. We don't need to talk about it. It's been talked about to death. I know. I know what you're talking about. And don't think I didn't think about it. But I was like, you know what? I don't want to go there. You know, that's. Oh man. (laughs) You know what, Kelly? You have just made this entire segment with that statement. Thank you. Thank you, I needed that. That shit was great. Yeah, man. Bring it in, man. Yeah. But But anyway But anyways. That's the Brandon Pickett. (laughs) Oh Lord. I'm sorry, people. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, Kelly. What? <laughs> all right. Go ahead and continue, my friend. I'm sorry. It's all good. But no, as I was saying, just this uh this this uh recent uh UFC card was it was it was actually really enjoyable. It it just, we've talked about this before and uh and and what I mentioned and I texted you earlier today when I was saying that uh on MMA Hour this week, Lorenz Larkin was talking about a lot of stuff in regards to things that we talk about on here. And I didn't even hear it, but but go ahead and rehash it. Tell me tell me what he said. One of the things he was talking about is that like when like once he um once they're kind of talking about him going to Bellator and everything, you know, you have your whole like casual UFC fan that's all about UFC, UFC, UFC. 
like talking about how like Bellator is like sort of like you know second rate, second and, rate and stuff like that when it's just like if if you if you love a fighter you should be able to like just like want everything for them and if they're in a, if they if they are able to get more money somewhere and be respected somewhere else you should be happy for them and if these other companies are able to come up that's better for fighting in general you know and what I liked about this la- this uh, last UFC card, though, was that it just seemed more like for your, not necess- I guess you'd say your hardcore MMA fan, but this def- definitely wasn't a card for your casual fan. This is for someone right. who, who just like good fights, you know, and that's what I enjoyed about it. There wasn't any sort of, there wasn't any big, you know, pageantry or big hype or anything. It was just good right. fights, you know. It's just a card. It was just a card. It was good fights, you know, and, and and that's when it's its best when it's only a card. When you start to, and that's and that's one of the things that that I love about other promotions, whether it be regional, whether it be um, your your cage championships, cage fighter championships, whether it be, you know, you'll be amazed. You go to these cards. You don't know any of the fighters, but you enjoyed the car so much because it was just exciting. What happened to it being about supporting the fighters instead of supporting that one or two people that you're promoting throughout the whole car? Right. So yeah, I feel you on that shit. I feel you on that. But the funny, and the funny thing was, is, is like this this uh, past UFC Fight Night card, and like I said, it was just. It was just aired on Fight Pass, but it had so many. There's so many conclusions to this to these fights that actually, like, it seemed like they could make a difference to what's going on in the future. You had Jimmy Manuel win, and you had Gunnar Nelson win. You had Arnold Anderson, um, Arnold Allen win, and you had Mark DeCasey uh, win. And uh, and it's and it's, you know, putting some good light into these fighters to be able to sort of, um to have them an argument to get better fights in the future. Um, then you have someone like uh, Joe Duffy, who ju- who's, uh, this was his last um, fight on his UFC ca- contract. So he's going to actually be... He's uh, he about, he about to test the waters. So yeah, he's, he's about to test the waters, you know. He, uh, he won, he won his, this last fight, unanimous decision, you know, 30-27 across the board. So now he's going to be able to test the waters. Like, that's what I liked so much about this card was it was a card, and I felt like it meant something, you know? There were so many fights that actually meant something to to where these fighters are going. So that's it was really enjoyable. I keep telling people all the time that Bellator is about to play. Like, Bellator right now is resembling strike force so much right now. And in a minute, you're going to see something change. I, I don't know who, but you're going to see somebody change the face of promotion-wise when you're talking about MMA. Bellator, uh, you can no, no longer look at them really as second tier. I get the whole UFC thing and blah, 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 blah. But today they... You know, announced Ryan Bader has just came over. Um, my heavyweight division. He's probably going to get an immediate title shot against Phil Davis. 
We got a Lorenz Larkin coming back essentially home. And when I say home, not Bellator, but coming to work for Scott Coker. Scott Coker is a quiet guy. It's my opinion, quiet guy. I've met him several times. He's a quiet guy. The only thing I haven't done is got to pick with him, and I'm going to do that shit probably (laughs) next week when we get there, you know. Um, But um, I've met him a a couple times. He's a quiet guy. Um, And he just does business. It was a reason where it was – when when UFC bought Strike Force, <clears throat> it was a reason that they kept Scott Coker on contract. And when that contract finally ended, you know, that's when he, you know, Bjorn was outed and he was brought in. So, you know, dealing with a lot of Bellator guys, you, 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 you know, it's, it's, especially when you, you know, one of your, one of your, one of your tightest uh, friends, you know, is one of the main fighters. You kind of see what's going on, and I remember him building a strike force to where it was competitive against UFC. And if you look at UFC right now, Daniel Cormier. Yeah, that's um, what, I know. She. Yeah, that's I what uh, Lance Larkin was talking about on MMA Hour. He's like, how can um, it's like. You had all these fighters that came from, um, you know, Strike Force that are now the people who are the main guys are the face of the faces of, of UFC. UFC. And so those, so those it's are like, Scott Coker's fighters, right? So it's just like you can't you can't really downplay Bellator as a second rate. You can't when, when the guy who created, who put out all these guys who all these fighters who are now the face of the UFC, it's like you, you pretty much know, you know, he knows what he's doing, you know? That's what I'm saying. That, and that's, that, that's what Lorenz said? Yeah. Look, and me, I, I haven't even heard the interview. And he's 100% correct. Um, yeah, he said that um, the reason, you know, one of the reasons why he, uh, he went over to Bellator is that um, there, was, there was another contract on the table from UFC, but... Um, he felt like there was a lot more respect, and he felt like he was um, there was a place for him at Bellator, and there was just a lot of, like a little lot of little things. Like he said, his management was going back and forth with Bellator regards to contract, but when he finally stepped in to actually talk with uh, Scott Coker or anything, they talked for only he said for literally he said he they literally talked for like forty minutes only forty minutes, and they were able to get to. Uh, sort of a an agreement that he wanted to come over to uh Bellator. So he felt there's there was this respect and there's these little things that he, he said that um that Bellator was um gonna do that made the decision clear. Like when they announced the um um that he signed, they they let his hometown newspaper, Riverside, like do the um actually make the announcement. It's little things like that. And there's like UFC a would have never did that, <clears throat> right? UFC would, and see, people don't realize Bellator got way more money than the UFC because they're uh, a company of, of Viacom. Viacom owns Bellator, right? So what what Bellator hasn't had are, you know, for the most part, names. If you if you want to be real, 
Um, when Mo, Mo was a strike force fighter and UFC purchased strike force, he became a Zufa employee and, you know, he calls, uh, you know, a Nevada athletic commissioner, you know, basically a racist bitch for saying condescending things in his opinion at that time, you know, um, you know, most spoke how he felt. And here is you got a guy like Dana White. I guess I'm about to get into my bash and shit, but here you got a guy like Dana White who has said a lot of vulgar shit on Twitter. But you terminate my boy's contract. It was a, like what he did was a way for you to get rid of his contract because Strike Force was paying more, you know, significant, you know, bread or whatnot. And you you tell Mo, yeah, uh apologize and you know, um, you know, we'll get everything straight. Mo goes on, on record to apologize to her on Twitter and then Dana calls him back and and says, okay, well, you know, we had to come back to the table in a couple months, da 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 And that was strictly to get rid of his contract because he was making a lot of bread. You know, they want to bring him up fucking in at 35 and 35 instead of bringing him in at 80 to 100, you know. And as a fighter, your window is super short, super small. So the goal as a fighter, especially if you're, if you're a professional fighter, is you're a prize fighter, which means you fight for money. That's what prize fighting is. Not just boxing, but when you're fighting, period. It's prize fighting. You go get that prize at the end of the, at the, end of the fight if you're the winner. So most fighters... They're so caught up in the whole alphabet game. I need to be being UFC. I need to be in UFC. Uh, I need to be in UFC. But then you get that whole ass contract of, you know, okay, you get ten to show. You get you get ten to show up, ten to win, and you're not go. You're not even gonna be on the TV prelims. You're just gonna be on the regular prelims. So, you have a 10 and 10 contract. So if you lose, you only get 10 grand. Most training camps cost more than $10,000. A good training camp costs more than that. So is the guy who took the 10 grand and didn't win and only had 10 grand, is he the real winner when he's really not going to have any money when it's all said and done? Right. You know, you you have to fight for your worth, and most fighters don't know their worth because they're so concerned with being only in the UFC instead of saying, "Hey, you know what? These dudes over here paying me two hundred fifty grand to fight. I'll make my own way over here." You know, so you got to make your own way, man. And people get caught up in the whole alphabet game. You have successful fighters that 
right, in Bellator, you have successful fighters that are that are in one FC. You you have successful fighters that you know are in World Series of Fighting, man. But because the UFC is considered the premier, then if you're not well, at least in the in the casual fans' mind, if you're not fighting over there, then you know you're second tier, which is bullshit. Because if you look at the, your, your previous champions from the from the last three four years, you're talking about Fabricio Werdum, you're talking about Dane Cormier, you're talking about Ronda Rousey, you're talking about Luke Rockhold, you're talking about uh, Robbie Lawler, you're talking about uh, a lot of fucking people that we're talking about. They weren't UFC fighters. They may have been in the past, but they got fired for whatever reason. They went to other promotions to recreate themselves and become better fighters. You talk about Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz is not a he's strike force champion, but he's one of the faces over at UFC. Alistair Overeem, strike force heavyweight champion, but he's one of the faces in the heavyweight division. In UFC, that's why he get paid what he get paid. Mark Hunt, pride. You know, they didn't even want to get his dude. They wanted to buy him out of his contract. He was like, no, I want to fight through my contract. Now he's getting big bread because he fought through his contract and didn't listen to the whole ass shit that they was telling him. Right. So when you when you when you look at what's really going on, UFC really don't have. Okay, uh, what's his name? Steel, Steel Pacheck, Oh, uh, um, Steel Yeah, Mio, oh, Miochek. Okay, yeah. Stepe Miochek. Oh, okay, Miochek is a UFC fighter. Um, Daniel Cry- Daniel Cormier is a Strike Force fighter, world champion. Teron Woodley is a Strike Force fighter, world champion. Um, okay, yeah, Connor is 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 the UFC fighter. Um, let's see. Ronda Rousey was a strike force fighter who never fought for a world well she fought for a world championship one time against uh against a man that you know Nunez and we've seen what happened with that but she was given a championship. She wasn't a champion. She was given a championship because she came for Strike Force and they purchased her, purchased, purchased you know her contract. Chris Cyborg, uh, to me, the most popular female fighter and the most when you're talking about respect wise. And you talking about female fighters, she is number one across the board, strike force champion. Now she's you know, she's a champion over at Invicta and she's soon to be featherweight champion over here in UFC. Uh, you know, these are not Dana's fighters. These fighters came from different organizations. And they are now winning. You know, prior to losing to Conor McGregor, Eddie Alvarez was world champion over in Bellator. So I get so tired of hearing 
you know, I had these little conversations with people and they they think they know shit, <laughs> but, you know, they don't know shit. They right. don't know shit about, you know, boxing, nor do they know shit about MMA. And, and they can't tell you where, where, where Daniel Cormier come from. All they know is he UFC lightweight champion, light heavyweight champion. They can't tell you shit about Luke Rockhold. They can't tell you shit about Jacques Ray. They can't tell you shit about people I've been watching before they were on television. I've been watching these dudes when they weren't main event people, when they were barely prelims people, and now they're running the game. They may be in UFC, but these people weren't raised up in UFC. They come from other promotions. So Scott Coker is about to win. And just wait until somebody like John Jones becomes a free agent. You got a company like Viacom that could throw him the world. Right. Definitely. No. Yeah. That that would be an interesting time. Definitely. Think, think, think about think about it. Prior to John Jones' troubles, never heard him say nothing bad about UFC, blah, 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 blah. But when he started getting his troubles, now all of a sudden, you know, UFC, you know, got negative to say about him. And now he don't have nothing really positive to say about him. He just know he got to go in there and do his job and everything else will take his course, but that doesn't mean he ain't going to remember the whole accident that they did when he was going through <laughs> um, his, his stuff. And when it comes time to, to do negotiations all over again, now it's, fuck you, I'm going to Bellator. And Bellator, will, he will get paid off the ass. All them fans are going to follow John Jones to where he's at. So, you know, Scott Coker got his own way of doing things, man. And, you know, regardless of what people may think, you know, um, Fedor is a draw. You know, my boy is a draw. And that's proven. You know what I'm saying? Numbers don't lie. You know, my boy do a million views when when he's fighting on Spike in the main event because he's able to, you know, draw. Uh, a certain, you know, people may say whatever they want about Mo, but you can't take away, you know, you can't take away that gift, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, Scott Coker is, you know, he ain't far away, man. He ain't far away from tilting this to an even stance, even with not having as many fighters as UFC has. You know, Scott had just, I think he's a better promoter than Dana. Dana may have the bigger names, but Scott Coker, you know, he brought Fedor over here first and still got Fedor. You know, Fedor may be older, but don't get it twisted. You get in the cage with him and find out what can happen. All right, that's about it for this week's edition of Fresh is the Word. Uh, V-Styles, tell them where they can find you online. Hey, yo, you can hit me up on Facebook. Um, my, my official artist page at uh, facebook.com forward slash official V Styles, V S C Y L E Z. You can hit me on a regular Facebook page, uh, forward slash V Styles, V S C Y L E Z. You also can hit me at Twitter and Instagram with the forward slash 
V Styles, V S T Y L E Z. Fresh is the word.